Good morning, everyone. It is August 31st, just after 11 o'clock in the morning here in Northern California. It's a nice day outside, even though we have all the, uh, you know, wildfires going going on up and down the state, but the situation's getting better on that, thankfully. Welcome to the 15th episode of our News Roundup podcast. This is going from the 23rd to the 29th last week. It's been a few weeks since I've done one of these, you know, unfortunately I had a uh, a lot of personal stuff I had to deal with, um, and you know this this podcast really is mainly just a hobby for me, um, you know. And I have things that uh, take precedence over this, you know. So I get to it when I can. Um, you know, we're back now. Hopefully, we could get into uh, get into a routine of doing this weekly. You know, like I want to. Before we get started, this podcast is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear Company, your one-stop combat shop, home of the Thules, the tactical handbook for unit leaders. That's available at megearco.com and Amazon. Just a quick side note, megearco.com is where you could find our blog as well and um, you know all the links to the podcast, Instagram, Twitter, that kind of stuff. And yeah, thank you for listening. I uh, really appreciate all the support from you guys. You know, podcast is growing and that's awesome. Um, hopefully it'll start picking up more speed as we get into more routine, like I said, but yeah, let's get on with it. So of course we're going to start off with the COVID-19 numbers and news. So this week ended at 25 million cases, 843,000 deaths and 16 million recoveries worldwide. Four confirmed cases of reinfection have been reported over the past week. These are the first four cases uh, since the pandemic began to spread. So far, we have one in the U.S., one in Hong Kong, one in the Netherlands, and one in Belgium. So we'll be uh, you know, keeping an eye on those numbers for sure. On the 23rd, President Trump announced that the emergency authorization, or he announced an emergency authorization to use convalescent plasma for COVID patients. According to the FDA, some 70,000 patients have already been treated with this plasma, but they have not yet obtained clinical trial data for the treatment. Those trials are currently underway. Next day on the 24th in South Korea, the capital Seoul ordered face masks to be worn inside and outside for the first time as the city is battling a new surge in cases. Also on the 24th, the premier of Victoria proposed an extension of the state of emergency in the Australian state until September 2021. Next day on the 25th, Sweden reported that faulty test kits from China caused up to 3,700 Swedes to test positive, even though they likely did not have the virus. This affects about 4% of the cases in the country. And on the 26th, American biotech company Moderna announced that their potential vaccine has produced promising results in elderly patients during early stages of a clinical trial. This vaccine was tested on two groups of 10 people, the first being between the ages of 56 and 70, and the second being ages 71 and up. Each patient received two 100 microgram doses, 28 days apart. Moving on to Europe, on the 23rd, unrest in Belarus continues as thousands of demonstrators protest what they claim was an unfair election, leading to the victory of the incumbent president, Alexander Alexander excuse me, Lukashenko. The Ministry of Defense announced that the army will take responsibility for protecting war memorials to free up local police to restore order in the country. And as of today, the unrest is still continuing and appears to be growing. 
this is something that I wanted to cover um, within the past few weeks, you know, after those Russian mercenaries were arrested in Belarus, that's when everything kind of really kicked off with the elections. And I had notes typed up for a podcast, you know, but, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, things get in the way and I had stuff I had to take care of. So I, I couldn't get to that. And, you know, I, I really can't go back three weeks and, you know, fit essentially a month in the news into one podcast and do uh, everything else outside of the podcast that I have to take care of in my life, unfortunately. But, you know, that's the way it is. Also on the 23rd, officers from the Russian FSB Special Purpose Center conducted a counterterror operation in Ingusheta. According to the National Anti-Terrorism Committee, three ISIS members were killed and two FSB officers were wounded in the operation. Among the possessions of the militants was a weapon of a Russian National Guardsman who was killed by then-unknown assailants on July 28th of this year. Russia has had a history of fighting Islamic insurgents in Ingusheta since at least 2007, and since 2015 the fighting has turned into a low-level insurgency. On the 24th in Northern Ireland, nine members of the new IRA were charged with terrorism, conspiracy, and possession of explosives. The group claims lineage to the original Irish Republican Army, which disarmed after a 1998 peace deal after decades of fighting with both the British government and Protestant militias in the north. The new IRA formed in 2012 from three out of the four main groups that broke off from the IRA after the peace deal was signed. The group is responsible for the killing of journalists Lyra McKee and two separate killings of prison officers, among other actions. Also on the 24th, the Swedish military deployed troops to and around Gotland. The military claims that the deployment is in response to the deteriorating security situation in the Baltic Sea. Specifically mentioned was a Russian amphibious exercise that was taking place in the Baltic Sea and the current crisis in Belarus. And we'll move on to Africa. On the 23rd, in Libya, the Libyan National Army rejected a ceasefire proposal by the Government of National Accord. According to a spokesperson, the Government of National Accord is positioning forces all over the front, particularly around Sirte and Jufra. Sirte, the former ISIS stronghold and birthplace of Muammar Gaddafi, is strategically important in the civil war, and a large battle for that city will probably begin at any moment. On the 24th, fighting broke out between Burundian security forces and militants in the commune of Bugarama, leaving at least 15 dead. The group Red Tabara, based in the Democratic Republic of Congo, claimed responsibility and said that the election that took place in May was a farce and called for new elections. It's unclear who exactly is among the dead, but according to a witness, the gunmen kidnapped everyone they met and killed them before engaging with the army. On the 26th, U.S. Africa Command confirmed that a U.S. airstrike in Somalia killed six Al-Shabaab fighters after they recently ambushed a Somali unit. Three other fighters were wounded. This year has seen a record number of airstrikes in Somalia by U.S. forces. Next day on the 27th, four Malian soldiers were killed and 12 were wounded after their anti-poaching convoy was ambushed by suspected Islamist insurgents in the region of Mabdi. Mali has seen fighting against an Islamic insurgency since 2012 and is now facing more hardships after a coup deposed President Ibrahim Bobukar Keta last week. 
Insurgent groups will no doubt take advantage of the situation. It may gain ground in the area due to the security situation. That coup is something I wanted to cover on the podcast as well, but, you know, fortunately couldn't get to it. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back with the Middle East, Asia, and the Americas. All right, and we're back with the Middle East. On the 23rd in Afghanistan, a roadside bomb in Ghazni province killed seven civilians after their vehicle rolled over it. And separately, the governor of Paktia, Mohammed Halim Fada, survived an assassination attempt. No group claimed responsibility for either incident, but the Taliban did explicitly deny responsibility in the assassination. On the 23rd as well, U.S. forces handed over control of Camp Taji back to Iraqi security forces as the Trump administration looks to redeploy troops from the country back home. The base that was captured from Saddam's forces by the 4th Infantry Division back in 2003 was extensively used during Operation Iraqi Freedom and later as a joint base during the fight against ISIS. Next day on the 24th, a blackout is reported across Syria after the Arab gas pipeline and rift Damask is hit by some sort of explosion. According to Syrian oil minister Ali Ghanam, the explosion was a terrorist attack but gave no further information. Electricity minister Zuhair Kabulti said that this is the sixth time the pipeline has been targeted, and according to James Jeffrey, who is a U.S. special envoy to international military intervention against ISIS, the attack was almost certainly a strike by ISIS. The last rebels in the area were defeated by Syrian and Russian forces back in 2018. However, ISIS has always had a presence in the area and is ratcheting up activity. 25th in Idlib, Syria, a joint Russian-Turkish patrol is hit by an explosion. Reports differ as to whether the patrol was hit by a rocket or an IED. A Russian BTR-82 was damaged and two Russian soldiers received minor concussions. This is the fourth attack since the two countries began patrols in Syria, and Kataib Katab al-Shashini has claimed responsibility, and this is the fourth attack that they've claimed responsibility for as well. On the 25th, in Afghanistan, a truck bomb killed at least three and injured another 41 in Balkh province. The Taliban claimed responsibility for this attack and said that it targeted Afghan commandos. According to the defense ministry, two commandos were killed, Seven were wounded, and the rest of the casualties were civilians. Same day in Kabul, Afghan actress Sabah Sahar survived an assassination attempt. She was shot four times in the abdomen and was taken to the hospital. The Taliban has denied involvement in this attack, and in the vehicle with Sahar were two bodyguards, a child, and the driver. The two bodyguards were injured along with the actress. On the 26th, back to northern Syria, an incident occurred between U.S. and Russian forces, likely the military police, around 10 o'clock in the morning local time. It's believed that four U.S. servicemen were injured when a Russian vehicle, likely a Typhoon-K, rammed into a U.S. MAV. Various videos on social media showcase the incident, and another video taken at some point during the incident shows a Russian MI-8 helicopter hovering less than 30 meters above the U.S. patrol, likely attempting to disperse them. 
Not much else is known about the incidents at this time. The UN Security Council has acknowledged the incident, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, has spoken with his Russian counterpart, General Valery Gerasimov, about the incident as well. The details of that conversation are still being withheld. Next day on the 27th in Beirut, Lebanon, a feud between Hezbollah supporters and a Sunni Arab clan led to a firefight killing at least three people. The army responded to the scene and arrested four that were involved in that incident. On the 28th, back to Afghanistan, twin bombings in Kandahar killed 13 civilians and injured two others. Civilians continue to bear the brunt of violence in the country. According to a study by the Afghanistan Human Rights Commission in mid-July, 1,213 civilians have been killed within the first six months of this year, and 1,740 were wounded. Moving on to Asia. On the 24th in the Philippines, dual bombings in the city of Jolo killed 14 and wounded another 75 plus. The first bombing occurred while the army was helping distribute COVID-19 aid in the area, and the second occurred near the Do Lady of Mount Carmel Cathedral, which was bombed last year. We covered that bombing after it occurred on this podcast. Soldiers, officers, and civilians were among the wounded and dead. The first bomb is believed to have been set off by a bomb attached to a motorcycle, and the second was set off by a teenager of a foreign background, and her identity is being withheld at this time. The Islamic insurgent group Abu Sayyaf is suspected of being responsible for both attacks. The group has carried out its insurgency in the area for 31 years and has pledged allegiance to ISIS in recent years. Last month, Filipino security forces captured five Abu Sayyaf militants suspected of scouting the area for potential targets. On the 25th in Taiwan, the government announced the opening of a second representative office in France to serve the southern portion of the country. This comes after the reopening of an office in Guam and the establishment of an office in Somaliland as well. This also comes as foreign relations sour between China and many countries around the world, particularly in the West, and these tensions have led some countries to repair relations with Taiwan. On the 26th, an ancient mass grave was uncovered in the Japanese city of Osaka. More than 1,500 bodies were recovered by archaeologists, and the grave dates back to the Edo period, when Japan was ruled by the Tokugawa shogunate from 1603 to 1868. The period came to an end with the Meiji Restoration, which brought imperial rule back to the country, which it is still under. The grave is on the site of a planned train station, and according to authorities, the station will be built as planned. And we will finish it off with the Americas. On the 27th, the FBI arrested Yasser Abdal Said a man who had been on the 10 most wanted fugitives list since 2014. He was on the list for allegedly murdering his two daughters in Irving, Texas on January 1st, 2008, which has been described as an honor killing. His brother and son were also arrested for harboring a fugitive. He allegedly killed his daughters when he took them out in a taxi cab to Irving, Texas with the pretext of getting food. He then shot them inside the cab multiple times. An honor killing is the murder of a family member due to the perpetrator's belief that the victim has somehow brought dishonor to the family. 
According to a family member that was interviewed, Syed threatened his daughter Sarah with bodily harm after she went on a date with a non-Muslim shortly before her death. And lastly, on the 28th, the Pentagon announced that it will recommend posthumously awarding the Medal of Honor to U.S. Army Sergeant First Class Alwyn Cash, an upgrade from the Silver Star that was initially given to him. On October 17, 2005, in Samara, Iraq, the Bradley Fighting Vehicle Sergeant First Class Cash was, was in rolled over an IED. He was only slightly injured and drenched in fuel at the time. When he realized that the vehicle burst into flames, he made multiple trips back and forth to grab his comrades from that burning vehicle. While doing this, the fuel that drenched his body ignited, but he continued to make the trips regardless. Cash suffered burns over 75% of his body and sadly passed away on November 5th, 2005. And with that, that is all we got for you guys this week. I appreciate everyone tuning in. Appreciate all the support. You know, keep spreading the word. Like, share, subscribe, rate, whatever you could do on the platform you're listening on. You could find this pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google um, breaker anchor anywhere you find your podcast it's there so yeah again appreciate it and we'll see you guys next week